Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Good morning, Calvary. How are you doing this morning? Good. I'm so glad you're here with us this morning, and I'm excited to share with you this morning. But before we get to that, I don't know if maybe you saw this on the news last night, but there's a church in Temperance, Michigan called Bridgeport Church that caught on fire yesterday and uh, totally lost their whole church. And uh, today they are meeting in a high school. Um, but, you know, when I was driving to, uh, into this morning, I was thinking, man, this is a church that has impacted their community. This is a church that has had life change happening, and I can't imagine as a church having to start all over and, and go through this. So today, before we start, can we pray for Bridgeport? I mean, Bridgepoint, I think it's yeah, Bridgepoint, and so let's pray for them this morning. Father, I thank you so much for Bridgepoint Church, and God, I thank you over the years of impact and influence they've had in their community, and God, the life change that's happened there. And so right now, this time of uh, fire, the loss of the church, God, I pray you be with the pastor and the board as they have to figure out how to rebuild everything and get everything back again. So Lord, give them wisdom. God, uh, pray for this community. Let the community come around and the, this church and help this church restart again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Pastor Chad and Pastor Bill aren't with us this morning. Uh, they are traveling. Uh, they are uh, scouting our next area where we're going to do a global project overseas. And so they'll be back later this week and uh, look forward to hearing from them and what God's directing us and where Calvary will go next with uh, missions. And so I ask that you continue to pray for them as they travel and get back here safely for us. Uh, currently, we are right now in a series called Living Right in an Upside-Down World. And we've been looking at the Beatitudes the last few weeks. This week, we're going to look at the next Beatitude. If you have your Bibles with me this morning, go ahead and open them to, up to Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. And we're going to look at this Beatitude right here. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Recently, I was with a group of people, and I asked, that, asked them, I said, Hey, when you see the word meek, what does it mean to you? And a lot of them came back and said, you know, Pastor, when I think of meek, it means somebody who's gentle, it's quiet, somebody who's kind of patient. So in my mind, I think of that person kind of being weak. I'm like, seriously, you think that person's weak? And they said, yeah, if you got to be gentle and patient and humble, usually you're a weak person. I'm like, ah, I mean, I don't know if that's what it really means there. But the meek that we're talking about here, what Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about saying meek here, meek are those who are humble and submissive before God. They commit their way entirely to him. They are more concerned about God's work and God's people, about what, more concerned about God's people than what might happen to them. That's what meek means. But to truly understand meek we need to skip down to Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is talking about the salt and the light. See, Jesus was a, great, was a person of great influence, not only in his time on earth, but on every generation and culture since. And when we ask Jesus to come into our, our hearts and wash away our sins, and then we're going to live our life for him, we become one of his disciples. And as a disciple... Jesus calls us to be people of influence. He tells us 
we are to be people who influence and we are to be people who illuminate. See, when we decide we're going to follow him and we're going to be that disciple, he's saying, look, you need to be a person of influence and you need to be a person who illuminates. Now, there are two things that are non-negotiable when you read the New Testament. The first one is we are called to be a disciple. We are called to be a disciple. That second thing is this. We are called to make a disciple. We are called to make disciples. And so many times, can I be honest today? And I'm going to be honest a lot today, so forgive me. But so many times, I think we get that part of, hey, I'm I'm called to be a disciple. But we forget we're called to make disciples. We forget that we're supposed to do that. And we don't know how, or we get scared. But there's no getting around it. It's in the Gospels. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, Jesus' first formal teaching. He calls his disciples, and he goes up on the mountainside, and his disciples come to him, and he began to teach them. Jesus, from the very beginning, from the writers from the New Testament, began to frame this follower, learner, student, master, friend, a relationship in the idea of a disciple. Then Jesus gives us a great mandate. He says in Matthew chapter 28, Verses 19 through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. We are called to be a disciple. We are called to make disciples. Being a disciple and making a disciple cannot be something that is weak or shallow can't be that something that's weak or shallow. So how do we do this? Where do we start? We start in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, and that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As Jesus' disciples were to be influencers, not the influence. Jesus tells us we are to be people of influence. So it brings me to our first point today. It's this, we are influence. We are influence. In these next four verses, we examine Jesus uses a series of images and explains why it's important that disciples should both be different and seen different. Jesus begins telling us, telling us from the very beginning right there, he tells us, you are the salt of the earth. For the most part, salt in Jesus' day was very different than from the table salt that we think of today. Immediately when I read scripture that I go back to our table salt that we have here and think of it like this. And I took this out of our break room today. And so I brought it down here with us. But we take this salt with us and any kind of food that we have and we take it and we put that flavor and make, put it on there to give us some flavor, right? 
When I think of salt, there's some food right away. I think, okay, oh man, when this summer we have corn on the grill, that's, I'm putting some salt on that. It's going to give it a different flavor. We have those things that we reach when we have that food, reach for that salt and put it on them to give it that flavor. But most salt in the ancient times were, was acquired from the evaporated seawater and would frequently contain, contain other minerals that were fairly useless. There were a number of different uses for the salt in the ancient world. They would use it for seasoning. They would use it as a preservative. They would take their meat and they would rub the salt on it. And this, this salt would slow the decay happening of the meat so they can hold on to that meat for a while. It also could be scattered on the soil of the flat roofs that they had. This would help harden that soil and prevent any kind of roof leaks to happen. In the ancient world, salt was a vital, even essential element of life. Maybe even as essential as, wa- as water. What is Jesus trying to get us to see? He's trying to get us to see that we're just as essential to the community that we live in. The community that you live in, Springfield, Perrysburg, Sylvania, wherever you live at, you are a central part of that community. You're an important part of that community. You are the flavor of that community. And I know sometimes we don't think of that. We think, hey, I'm just going to drive to my area, to my neighborhood. I'm going to go. I'm going to park into my garage, shut the garage door, and I'm it. And I'm done for the day. No, your community needs you to be the flavor. It needs you to be the salt. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says that we're the salt of the earth, not him? See, the church is what's keeping the world from fallen into complete chaos. That's how much influence we are in the world. And today there's four ways that we're to be an influence in our world. Four things I want to give you today to show you how we're supposed to be an influence of the world. First is this. We're to add flavor to our world. We are to add flavor to our world. Our wisdom Our spiritual understanding, based on our relationship with the Lord and our knowledge of Scripture, is a vital element of the world. Our task is not only to tell people that they are far from God, but also to tell them how to get to God. Let me say that to you again, because sometimes I feel like we're so quick to get on social media and and get in places and, and tell people, hey, they're so far from God, and tell them everything they're doing wrong, but we forget that how to tell them to get to God. We're quick to say on Facebook, man, you're messed up. Right? But we're, we're not so quick to tell them, hey, but can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you how to get your life right? We're quick to throw that out there. Second, as salt, we preserve the world. Without the church being a source of reason and grace in the world, the human race would self-destruct. The church is an important part of the world. Without it, this world would self-destruct. This human race, the human race would self-destruct without knowing Jesus. Third, we are a purifier in our world. As proclaimers of God's truth, we're able to make clear that his standards are higher than that of our society's standards. As proclaimers of God's truth, it's our task to declare that the only way to be right with God is through the blood of his son. 
However, we need to pay close attention to what Jesus says next. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out, trampled underfoot as worthless. And we know that salt cannot lose its saltiness because of the sodium chloride in it. It makes it a stable compound. But what is Jesus talking about? What does he mean? Jesus may be alluding to the rock formations they had back then that contained deposits of sodium chloride. They would take the meat and the fish were packed in these rocks to preserve them. After a period of time, the salt leached out, on the, leached out from the rocks. So the rocks weren't any good to them anymore, so they would throw these rocks out. The point that Jesus is making here is that if we stop being the salt, if we stop being positive influence on our culture and society, we become worthless. If we stop becoming that positive influence on our society and our culture, we become worthless. What good is it if someone's confessing to be a follower of Christ and shows no concern for the spiritual well-being of those around them? What good is it if someone's confessing to be one of Jesus' disciples and not actually trying to make a difference in the world? What good is it if a Christian who sits on the sidelines while the world around them is on their way to hell? In Jesus' eyes, that person is worthless. That's kind of hard to swallow. He wants us to be people of influence. He wants us to go out and impact our, our culture, our society. I was with a group of friends a while back, and we were talking, you know, our biggest fears. And so it's interesting when you get some men in a circle start talking about their fear. And, you know, a lot of them first are like, I don't got any fears. I don't want to talk about fears. But as we started talking more, and they opened up to their fears, and I heard their responses, they looked at me and said, so, Pastor, what is your biggest fear? I told them that my biggest fear in life is being insignificant. If I can't make a difference in the life of those around me and impact their lives for the sake of the kingdom, then my life would have been a, my life's a failure. When I leave this life, I want to know that being here matters. And I hope that all of us as followers of Christ, that when we leave this earth and we get to heaven, that we, our life mattered here, that we impacted somebody, that there's people actually going to heaven because of the impact that you had on their life. Fourth thing is this, we're not to be influenced by the world around us. Romans chapter two, verse two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't become so well-adjusted to our culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you. He develops a well-formed maturity in you. See, church, we should never let our culture dictate who we are as Christians. And can I be honest again? 
I'm afraid our culture is starting to do that. We should never let our culture dictate who we are as Christians. We should never allow our society to press us into a mold. We must stand out. We must be different because we've been transformed by the life-changing power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, we are to be the ones who influence our society. We are the ones that are supposed to be on our culture and society influencing them. Don't let our society and culture influence us. We have to be out there influencing it. See, Jesus did not shed his blood so that we can be like everybody else. He didn't shed his blood so we can be like everybody else. Jesus didn't sacrifice his life for so that we can sit on the sidelines. Jesus has called us to be difference makers. Jesus has called us to set the tone. As many of you know, my wife, Mara, and I have four kids, and now they're teenagers and adults, and they're out doing their thing and, and you know, exploring life and making an impact in the world. But I remember a time when they were little, little kids, and we lived in this neighborhood, and this neighborhood had tons of kids, and we loved the neighborhood because we thought, oh, our kids were going to have somebody to play with all the time and hang out with. And it always seemed like the neighborhood ended up in my backyard. I don't know why. My house was just cool to hang out with or whatever. But the kids were always there. And I can remember these kids, these boys that lived down the street from us. And these boys were bad. These boys were bad boys. And and I I didn't like it when they came over because they were just bad. And I don't know why I kept allowing them to come over and be a part of my kids' lives and play with their toys. Because when they would leave, they would destroy things. They'd make a mess. And I would come home and I'd say, well, those two boys from down the street were here again. But one day I remember uh, getting a, a phone call from my wife, Marn. And at the time I was Calvary's children's pastor and we were putting on our summer blasts. Some of you don't know our summer blasts are VBS. It's a week long. And I was in that role at the time. And she said, hey, I just want to give you a heads up. Um, the kids invited the two boys down the street to come to church. And I went, really? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, isn't it great? And I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> in my mind, I'm thinking, these two boys are going to come to church. They're going to destroy the church. And Pastor Chad's going to fire me the next day. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know if I want these boys here. And, they, and I watched them that week as I preached at Summer Blast, and they were sitting a few rolls out, and I would look at them, just keep looking at them, because I'm like, come on, you got to get this word today. you got to understand this. And, but I would hear from them, hey, it was good, we had fun, and, you know, and it was great that they had fun, but I never watched them kind of raise their hand to accept Jesus yet. A week later, I remember pulling up in the driveway, and my kids were outside, and they're all, four of my four kids are in a circle with these two boys. And I just kind of sat back in my car to watch and see what's going on. And I can watch my two older kids, Caitlin and Zach, and they're happy. They're kind of clapping their hands, and their hands are going like this, and they're talking. They're flipping through the pages of this, these books they had on the ground. And I realized they had their Bibles out. 
And so they're, they're flipping through their Bible, and I'm like, ooh, I'm going to sit back and watch this. And the moment in the car, I'm like, I'm a proud dad. I'm just cheering, like, yes, look at him go. They're leading people. And so as I went to get out of the car, the, you know, the boys grabbed, grabbed the Bibles, and they, then they left. And so my kids all come run up to me and, and hug me and say, Dad, you know, guess what happened? You know, we were outside playing, and the boys started talking about church again, and they, and they said they didn't have any Bibles. So, and this is Caitlin telling me, so, so Zach went inside, and I told him to grab the Bibles, and he grabbed two Bibles, and he came outside. And so we started talking to him about the Bibles and the, everything, you know, about Jesus in the Bible, and then we decided to give him our Bibles. I went, oh, Cool, and I gave him a hug and, and, and was proud of him and told him how proud I was of him. And it's like, oh man, I'm so happy. And as they went in the house, because they were just, they were just needed to go share with their mom next, so they were happy. And it hit me when I was standing in the driveway. They just gave their Bibles away. I just bought those not too long ago. <laughs> what are they thinking? That's their Bibles. But then right that second, I remember God saying to me, reminding me what it's like to have a childlike faith. See, they didn't care what people would have thought about them talking about Jesus. They weren't scared to share their faith. They didn't know what to say, but they knew what to say with the things they've learned. And they knew in their hearts they had to do that. I think so many times as adults, we get scared or we don't know what to do, so we don't share a faith. We just kind of just stand back and blend in. And it reminded me that we all need to have a childlike faith. A childlike faith is willing to make a difference. A childlike faith is willing to set the tone. So are you willing to make a difference? Are you willing to set the tone? question to you today is, are you influencing someone? If not, what is stopping you? What are you waiting for? He called us to be disciples. He called us to make disciples. Second point today is this. We are to be illuminating. You are the light Jesus now moves from one metaphor to the next, being the light. He says, you are the light of the world. The you here, in other words, is is you, my followers, none others, are the light of the world. Light is a universe religious symbol. In the Old Testament, as in the New Testament, it was most frequently frequently symbolized purity as opposed to filth, truth or knowledge as opposed to error or ignorance and divine revelation and presence as opposed to combination and combination. Where there's light, people can find their way and everything is clear. Where there's darkness, there's stumble and there's loss. We can see again that Jesus is referring to us in terms that indicate we are indispensable. Without light, we cannot see. Stay warm. Or even, maintain, or even maintain our source of food. In other words, without light, we could, we could cease to exist. Notice what Jesus says about us as a source of light. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. 
See, in that day and age, the towns were often built of white limestone. And ancient towns gleamed in the sun and could, could, be e- could not easily be hidden. At night, they would take these oil lamps, and these oil lamps would shed some glow over the surrounding area. Like those ancient cities, we should be easily visible to those who do not know Christ. That doesn't mean that we should go our way to be weird. Doesn't mean that we need to go this, on a corner and have a sign that says, you know, Jesus is coming back. If you don't accept him, you're going to die today. And that's cool that it's the things you want to do, but we don't need to be weird about it. We just need to go out and be people and have people look at us and say, hey, there's something different about that person, and I want what there's different about them. Be willing to share our faith in the right way with people. Let them recognize that we've been with Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. See, back then, they would take these little bowls, these shallow bowls, and put oil in them with a wick. It would normally be stationary, placed on a fixed lampstand, rather like mobile torches. And this is how they would shine that light in there, in their house. Jesus gives us the reasons we shouldn't hide our lights. In verse 16, he says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jesus is trying to tell us a true disciple impacts people and brings glory to the heavenly Father. It is not so that we recognize us, but they recognize the one that we represent, and that's God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing, of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors, co-workers, family. Be careful how you live among them. Stand out. Don't blend in with them. Are you the co-worker that comes into the job site and just throws your tools around because you're upset and everybody can't tell that you're a Christian? Or they know you're a Christian and they're like, hey, did you see Keith? That guy threw his toolbox across the whole shop, was cussing and carrying on, and guess what? I know he goes to church. What does that say to, about, about us as Christians? When we try to blend into this world, what does that say? We have to be willing to be different. We have to be careful to live properly among them. We need to be shining brightly for Jesus. Believers are now the light of the world. Jesus said, as long as I'm, the, I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. We know Jesus is no longer in the world, not bodily. His light is now lives in us as believers. And believers are reflections of him. As a kid, I remember growing up in my neighborhood that I had, and uh, I loved my neighborhood because we didn't have many street lights, so when it got dark, you know, there was a lot of little things that we can get in a little bit of trouble with because they couldn't see us. But 
one of the things we would do all the time was play this game called flashlight tag. How many of you guys have played flashlight tag before? Some of you guys don't even know what I'm talking about. So flashlight tag is this. It's kind of like hide and go seek. Uh, a bunch of people would go out and hide, and the person that had to go find everybody would have a flashlight like this, and they would turn it on, and then when they would see somebody they think they found, they would shine the light on them and shine it, and everybody would scream, oh, no, you didn't find me, or I found you. And uh, I used to love going out finding my buddies. They would go out and hide in this dark neighborhood. And I would love to go look for them. And when I think I had them, I'd shine that light on. And their reaction was the best. Someone would throw their hands up because the light I would use, I'd make sure I found the brightest light that I could find. I wanted to blind them. And they would throw their hands up like, hey, man, that's too bright. I can't see. Others would, you know, they would throw their hands up or they would like, oh, my goodness, their face reaction like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe you found me. It was a fun game. But I always loved the part of myself going out hiding. See, I knew where to hide at. I knew I can find the smallest, tightest spot in the darkest spot, and I would get into that spot. And I would sit there and think, no one's going to find me. I'm the best at this game. I love it. But I can remember there sitting there in the dark sometimes, Thinking, oh man, I hope someone finds me. <laughs> oh man, I'd like to go home tonight. Someone please find me. Will they ever see me? Then I can also remember times being there because it was so dark, getting scared. Like, man, it is so dark. I'm scared. I'm all by myself in this darkness. I think, man, I just want to see the light. Someone shine the light so I can get out of this darkness. Someone shine it because I'm lost. I can't help to think, church, that there are people out there and they're in this darkness and they're scared and they're looking and saying, man, I'm in some darkness and I don't know where to turn. There's no hope for me. I wish there was some light and the light they're looking for is Jesus and the only way they're going to see that light is if we're willing to step out of our comfort zone and say, look, I am the light for Jesus and I'm willing to share my faith. Because there's people that are struggling and they're sitting up and they're scared and they're saying, where's my hope? Help me. And the only way that's going to happen is if we're willing to shine our light. Are you willing to shine your light? Unless we're the light of the world, the world will always be in darkness. Unless we reflect Jesus to the world, it will always stumble around in darkness. Unless we reflect the light of Jesus, the world will never know the truth. Jesus has given us a job in this world, and that is to shine. 
We're not to let our light go out. We're not to hide our light so others cannot see. We're to put ourselves out there for the entire, entire world to see. And our purpose is to give glory to the Father by letting our light shine. See, our purpose is to reflect the light of Christ that no one can say on the day of judgment they didn't know because they hadn't seen it in our lives. See, every single one of us in this room, we have a testimony. And your testimony can be used to bring someone to Jesus. Some of you think, hey, Pastor Keith, my, my testimony is, you know, I just grew up in the church. There's nothing big, nothing big life-changing happened to me. You still have a testimony. You still have a story. And Jesus is saying, look, you are the salt and the light. I want you to be used. I want you to bring that light to people. You're able to do it. He's equipped you. We have to be willing to do it. See, let your light shine brightly that, it, that the world may see your good works and give praise to the Father. Don't try to hide it. Don't let it go out. Shine, shine, shine your light. You were created to reflect the glory of the Father. Now be what you were made to be, a light in a dark place. Many of you I've shared this story with before. I grew up in a non-Christian home. And I was a bad kid. I remember just in high school, teachers telling my mom and dad, man, Keith, I don't know about that guy. There's no hope for him. He's in detention more than he's in class. I remember times my mom and dad just sitting there, shaking their head, saying, son, when are you going to wake up? When are you going to change your life? If you don't change, you're probably not going to have much freedom. And my life took a a big change because I met this good-looking girl. She was my salt. She was my light. She said, look, I'm going to invite you to church. And I laughed and said, girl, I'm never going to church. She said, yeah, come to church. I went to the church that one Sunday. It was an AG church, a spirit-filled church. Hands were lifted up. People were shouting. I was scared. did something I saw the light and I raised my hand to accept Jesus that day and I accepted him and my life took a change immediately people started coming around me saying look I want to help you I want to help you develop you into what it means to be a disciple I want to, I want to pray with you I want to give you a bible And they helped me. This church in Sandusky, Ohio helped me. And my wife helped me. And my father-in-law, man, just a guy of wisdom, showed me what what it was to be a man of God. 
As we go back to Sandusky, it's so funny that I'll run into some of my old friends and they're like, hey Keith, what are you doing now? I think they thought I should have been in jail. I was like, hey, I'm a pastor. They're like, no, seriously, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm a pastor at this church in Maumee, Ohio. Calvary Church is a great church. I love it. And they're like, their mouth drops. And they're like, what happened to you? And I'm able to share my story. Able to share and say, look, this is what happened to me. And it can happen to you. Church, I truly believe this. If God did not place my wife, Marn, in my life, I would not be standing here today. She showed me and invited me to church. I wasn't going to plan on going to church. I was going to church because there was a pretty girl. But God did something. And he still wants to do that still. Because I can tell you, and we know it by we turn the TV channel all the time or get on social media, we live in a dark world, right? There needs to be the salt and the light in the world. And the only way we're going to change the darkness is through you. Jesus wants to use you. He wants you to go into your jobs and be able to stand there and talk about him. He wants you to go in your neighborhood and be a light for him. He wants you to be the flavor in your community. But we got to get out of our comfort zones. Don't hide your light. See, we were, recre- we were created to reflect the glory of the Father. And so as I wrap this up today, I want to leave you with just a few things. Is this. Number one, Jesus has called us to be people that influence and illuminate. What are you doing with your life? Are you influencing others? Or are they influencing you? Are you illuminating other darknesses? Or is their darkness extinguishing your flame? Is someone putting your flame out? If they're putting your flame out, that's got to change. Third, be what you have been called to be, a difference maker. You've been called to be a difference maker. Now he's telling you, go and be a difference maker. Today, I want to close with this. If you can just close your eyes and bow your heads right now. See, 30 plus years ago, I had an opportunity. Someone gave me the opportunity to get out of my darkness, to accept Jesus. And today, I want to be able to give you that opportunity. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know what? I have never asked Jesus into my heart. I've never asked him to come out and to come to be my best friend and wash away my sins. And Pastor, I'm dealing with so much things in my life. I'm in this dark period in my life, and I need Jesus. If that is you today, can you just raise your hand? You just say, you know what? Today, yes, I see hands going up. If you just say, today, I want to make Jesus my Savior. Today, I want him to come in and shine that light. Just raise your hand. Hands going up. Thank you. Praise you. Praise God. Let's pray today. Just I ask you just to repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. I thank you for your son, Jesus. 
Jesus, I thank you for coming to this earth and dying on a cross for my sins. I ask you, Jesus, to come into my heart and wash away my sins. Let me make you my best friend and live my life for you. Let me be the light for you. In Jesus' name I pray.